I'm Mike Sheridan, and this is The Dell. Hey, you're very welcome along to another episode of The Delve with me, Mike Sheridan, brought to you by Spotlight Oral Care, a fantastic, sustainable and ethical Irish company who are flying all over the world. It's great to see them doing so well. If you head along to their website there below and use the code DELVE25, you'll get 25% off everything on site. So by going and getting your oral care needs filled by Spotlight Oral Care, you will also be supporting the show. Um, so we're really delighted to have their support this season. So my guest today is Jake Tapper. Jake is the host of The Lead in CNN, of course. He's the host of State of the Union on CNN. And I would always have watched the shows and watched the clips. I'm a huge fan of Jake. I think what he does and how he does it is he's the bar, I think, for broadcaster journalists in that crossover space. Jake is incredible at what he does. I actually listen to the show as a podcast. It's a really smart thing. I think that CNN or, or Jake's team or whoever does is they put the show out afterwards just to consume as a podcast so if you're working out if you're walking a dog if you're cleaning the house you're able to keep up with current affairs really smartly done as well so jake is the bar for me and um, jake also wrote a book in 2012 he actually wrote a novel a couple of years ago there's nothing this man can't do you know a novel a couple of years ago called the hellfire club but he wrote a book in 2012 called the outpost which is based on an attack that happened to an american base in afghanistan in 2009 it's a crazy story and it's a tragic story, but it's also kind of inspiring as well. I managed to uh, catch the movie adaption of the of the book, which has just come out, directed by Rod Lurie, who's a West Point graduate, really knows what he's doing. But by using a VPN and going and renting the movie for an American site, legally, legally, uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's so well done. I'm not big on war movies, but this movie is so much more than that. So we were trying to get Jake to do the show from very early on from when we bought the show back in the summer so we're absolutely delighted to have him especially coming towards the end of the season so check out the movie if you can check your listings the outpost it's excellent check the book and check out uh the lead and state of the union not that not that it needs another plug everybody knows what that is but enjoy the conversation it's it's one of my favorites of this season so how are you doing how's how are your family how's everybody everybody's hanging in everybody's hanging in i'm my son is emailing me right now from school uh, where he's very frustrated. I don't, how, how is it in, in Ireland or have you, has, have you managed to control and contain the virus or people in school? What's the situation? I think frustration is a global theme uh, as far as I can tell, at least in Western Europe. It's everybody's back in school. All the kids and stuff are back in school. They have been for a couple of weeks and That's that seems to have been fine, but we had a change of government about halfway through all of this which hasn't really helped with the messaging. Everybody was kind of in it together at the start and that seems to have changed a little bit now. People are just getting a bit frustrated, I think, like it kind of is anywhere, you know? Yeah. Um, but I want to talk, first of all, about the movie, uh, Jake. Okay. When, when this happened, when this attack happened in 2009, is it true your son Jack was, was born the day before? He was. <clears throat> and I was sitting uh, in the hospital uh, recovery room uh, with my wife and Jack. And I, there was just something very poignant about the moment. Um, uh, somewhere in the haze of that week, I don't know if you have kids, but if, if you do, then you know that the first few weeks after a kid is born are kind of, you don't get a lot of sleep and it's kind of hazy, kind of gauzy. Anyway, there was some, something poignant in that week where I was just holding my son, Jack, 
hearing on the TV about eight other sons taken from this earth, uh, U.S. service members killed at Combat Outpost Keating. And I mean, it sounds cheesy and corny. And if I were a journalist hearing the story, I would be skeptical of it. But uh, it just set me on this quest. I mean, I just wanted to know more. And um, it was the deadliest day for the U.S. and Afghanistan that year. And I just and ended up with this, you know, big book um, and kind of my eyes opening. You know, I always intellectually knew about service and sacrifice, but never really understood it. Still don't fully understand it, but now I've, I've done a lot more to try to foster understanding and better communication between those who serve and those who don't. And I know you went to Afghanistan, or you've been to Afghanistan a couple of times to research yeah. the book. When you get there, there's a magnitude of how much of a kind of a mess up it was having the base there at the bottom of three mountains in the valley. Does that really set in? These young men are coming, like the very young guys are coming from, you know, Midwestern America, wherever it is, to a completely different world. And that's the first thing that they have to deal with. I never actually got to combat outpost Keating okay. because, because a few days after the the big battle on October uh, 3rd, 2009, a few days after um, the U.S. abandoned it and, and bombed the living crap out of it. So it didn't exist anymore, that camp. Um, that week that the battle happened, the cop Keating disappeared. So I got as close as the closest camp to it, forward operating base Bostic, um, which has since been turned over to the Afghan army, I believe. It's no longer a U.S. base. And, and I said, can we go to Cop Keating? Can, can we go there and see, you know, what the, what, where it used to be anyway? And um, the guy laughed and said, uh, you know, we can, we can get there. I don't know that we can get back. Um, and uh, he said, that's a, that's a situation with everywhere in Afghanistan. I can take you anywhere. I just can't guarantee that we're going to, we're going to be able to get back here. So uh, we decided not to go. Uh, and uh, or it actually was never really an option. When I went to the movie set uh, a few years ago in Bulgaria, where Rod and the production designers had recreated the entire camp at the bottom of one steep mountain, not, not three, the other two in the movie came through CGI, um, soldiers who had served at Combat Outpost Keating, who were consulting on the film or acting in the film, um, said it was very, very similar. Like the feeling was very similar. But I thought Rod did a really great job, although I never experienced it the way um, these people did in, in, at the actual base in recreating what so many soldiers told me was their experience. You come in at night so that you don't get killed. And then the next morning you wake up and you look and you cannot even believe that you are sur- you're in this bowl. Uh, and you can't even believe it because it's obviously incredibly vulnerable strategically. And you said three guys were involved with the three guys who were stationed at Combat Keating were involved with the movie. And uh, Dan yeah. Rodriguez is one. How did, and he's actually got a pretty big role in the movie too, playing himself. Yeah. How do those guys react to being on the set? To, is, is it just, it must be it's, completely surreal. I think that it was, I think there were a lot of emotions. I think that there were, I think that they were, I mean, I asked them that question. I mean, I think it was in some ways a bit traumatic. You know, this is a recreation of the worst place they had ever been and where they had spent the worst day of their lives. A a day that I could never even imagine having on my worst day, 
nothing like that. Um, I think it was also a bit, uh, a bit cathartic, uh, a bit uh, rehabilitative, the idea of confronting the reality of this. Cause you know, a lot of these, these guys, they, they try to move on and you know, you can't ever really fully move on from a trauma uh, you just experience it in different ways or suppress it and it comes out in some other way. So, um, but I think ultimately it was, it was good for, for all of them. And it also just reinforced uh, that they were right when they were there and their reaction was, what the hell are we doing here? Like, why would anybody put a camp here? Uh, why, you know, this is incredibly, we're, we're really vulnerable. And our, and our government, our military has sent us here. That feels like as well, almost like a bipartisan mess up as well, because it was it was policies during the W. Bush administration, but that kind of bled into the Obama administration. I think he was in office for nine months. So yeah. that kind of has the military taken any action since then that or the, the powers that be taken any action since then to ensure something like this doesn't happen again? Well, you're, first of all, I mean, in the United States, so many of our um, our wars and our foreign policy blunders are bipartisan and. Um, you know, uh, ranging back to the, the founding of this nation, I suppose. Uh, the reason that the outpost was there, and this, the movie doesn't really go into this, but the book does, um, is because of a number of policy decisions. And the policy decisions are, one, George W. Bush, President Bush, in 2004 or five, decided that they were actually going to try to do nation building. Um, which meant that they needed to have camps near the population of different Afghans. They couldn't just all be in Bagram. They needed to be throughout the country. So that's one. Two, there were not that many troops in Afghanistan. The U.S. at that point was sending most of its focus, devoting most of its focus to Iraq. So because there weren't that many troops, the camps were small. Three, in that part of Afghanistan, and this is a, an on-the-ground policy decision, but in that part of Afghanistan, on the base of the Hindu Kush Mountains, you're either on the top of a mountain or you're on the bottom of a mountain. I mean, that's really it. <clears throat> so um, they couldn't be on top of the mountain because, this is point three, not only were most of the troops in Iraq, most of the helicopters were in Iraq. So in order to get to and from Cop Keating, without a helicopter, without a lot of helicopters, they had to be near the road, which which were at the bottom. So you see policy decisions played this huge role in putting this camp in the only place they could put it. Um, But then you're right. I mean, uh, Obama was president and there had been a move that year to shut down combat outpost Keating when the new guys, the new uh, Colonel and Lieutenant Colonel, Randy George and, uh, and Brad Brown came in but the decision was made for any number of reasons to delay it. Um, one of the reasons was Karz, there was going to be an election. Uh, and Karzai, the president of Afghanistan at the time, didn't want any bases pulling out, any U.S. pullouts or withdrawals before the election. So, yeah, I mean, you see the policy decisions uh, ended up uh, having a very real impact on the lives and, and loss of life of these Americans. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the show. I just wanted to briefly tell you about our sponsor for this season of The Delve, Spotlight Oral Care, which is an Irish company founded by two Irish dentists. Uh, They're a sustainable company. They're an ethical company. So 
Long story short about me and my teeth, I had my teeth straightened a couple of years ago. It made me hyper aware of oral care in general. Spotlight Oral Care really recognized that and do products specific for people. And um, so I've been using their men's teeth whitening strips for a couple of weeks now. I've found them fantastic. I've also been using, which is the, which is the crown and the jewel for me, uh, the Sonic Toothbrush, which is just a phenomenal product. It's got three different settings and it's got a two minute timer. So you're, you're cleaning your teeth for two minutes. I'm using their uh, sensitive toothpaste and you're cleaning your teeth for two minutes and it just switches off. You're like, okay, I've brushed my teeth for the sufficient amount of time. They've also given us a discount code of DELVE25. So if you use the code DELVE25, you'll get 25% off any Spotlight Oral Care products on their site. Back to the show. And I know you spoke to Bob Woodward when you were writing the book because you were yeah. conscious of some of the violence appearing gratuitous. What advice did, did Bob give you at the time when you were, when he read the pages? Well, one of the big, one of the toughest decisions I had was how graphic do I get in, in the violence when I describe the violence? I mean, uh, it's one thing like when Rod Lurie does in the movie, there's, there's violence, but it's not gratuitous. It's not, it doesn't glorify it, but it also doesn't hit you over the head with it. Somebody dies and you see they're dead, but you don't, um, it doesn't linger. It was respectful. But in a book, um, you know, for instance, um, how do I describe somebody's leg getting blown off? How do I describe somebody's head getting blown off? How, I mean, I, I'm not fully aware of how things are covered uh, in Ireland. But here in the U.S., um, we sanitize wars. We sanitize. It's, it's one of the reasons why the photos from Abu Ghraib were so shocking, because we don't see the dead bodies uh, of our own service members or the enemy or innocent bystanders. We just generally, they're not depicted in news media, whether print or TV, cable, network, whatever. We, it's just not done. So I, just, I asked Woodward how, um, how graphic to be. How, because I, don't, I, don't, I didn't want to have people re-traumatized when they read about, you know, a lot of people that I interviewed for the book um, learn things about their loved one reading the book that the military hadn't told them. And a lot of them didn't read the passages involving their loved one because they didn't want to know. Um, and basically Bob told me um, that I had to tell the truth. So I, I basically got up to the point of, and I have an author's note at the beginning of the book where I say, I held back some details, uh, but, but not a lot. So that, you know, it, I don't want people to be upset um, by a graphic description of a loved one. And for that reason, I know a lot of people didn't read certain parts, but I thought it was important because I wasn't just writing this for the survivors uh, or the family members. I thought it was important because we in the United States send troops to war to fight these battles for us. It's an, it's an all volunteer military. And we are, are not, we, those who don't serve are asked to not sacrifice anything at all, not even taxes or and nothing. And uh, we should at least know what we're asking these men and women to do. I was just looking up some interviews that you've done and listening to podcasts and stuff that you've done, stuff like NPR and uh, came across the St. Mary's interview from a couple of years back where I realized the Michael Wolf book is two years ago, right? It's or longer. Huh. That might, it feels like a lifetime given the amount of books that have been written about <laughs> Yeah. From the White House or via the White House since then. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and, and his central thesis 
seems to have been borne out by almost all of the subsequent books. His central thesis of President Trump is somebody who his top aides and advisors themselves have concerns about. Uh, so, so Wolf's central thesis, I think, has been proven, uh, has been reaffirmed by subsequent reporting. Why do you think the Woodward book is going to have more impact? Rage, which has just come out today, today we're recording, I'm looking forward to reading it. But do you think it's going to have more impact because of the timing of the release of the book where you know, John, we spoke to John Bolton, Joe Bolton had just re- released the book. He was pretty much next, next to the president for a year or so. But it's the fact that the book is coming out now and the tapes and stuff are coming out now so close to the election that that could have more of a detrimental effect to the administration. Um, I don't know what the impact will be. It might not even have any impact. Uh, I mean, President Trump, uh, as a general, as a general proposition, President Trump has stayed in the low 40s when it comes to his approval, no matter what. Um, he's inched up here and there and inched down here and there. But generally speaking, he's at about 41, 42% approval, whether it's, you know, boom times and the economy here in the United States is doing great. Uh, and unemployment is at record lows, or during our current dystopia where, you know, my kids are learning from home and everybody has to wear a mask or whatever. Um, We here in the United States, I mean, just as an empirical fact, our, our, our response to the pandemic has been worse and less effective than any other Western wealthy nation uh, per capita. Um, And you know, we have less than 5% of the world's population and more than 20% of the world's COVID deaths, according to official numbers. So, you know, it doesn't seem to make, you know, people who don't like them, don't like them. People who do like them, do like them. I don't know what effect this will have. I mean, this book is, you know, Woodward is a giant. Uh, Michael Wolff has a, um, his reputation is not the same as that. And uh, this book has on the record, taped interviews with the president, 18 of them. And, you know, in it, you can hear in some of these tapes, you hear him knowing full well in early February how deadly this virus was, even as he presented the exact opposite to the American people days later. So could it have an effect? I I can't predict um, this stuff. All I can do is is cover it. Uh, But Bob Woodward is a, is a, is a giant and, um, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, and it's, I was listening to, I was watching Bob on, Bob was on Colbert last night and he was saying, Trump actually called him seven times. So yeah. <laughs> it's this weird thing about Trump is that like at the same time that he attacks the media, he does seem to want so badly to be well regarded by so many members of the media, like Bob Woodward, uh, like the New York Times. Like, I mean, I think that's one of the things, just to play arm, armchair psychologist, I, I think that is one of the reasons why he attacks the media so, so often is because um, he, he, he doesn't understand why so many people in the media cover him critically, which is, of course, our, our job. One final question. I really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. Um, how do you think like, independent media is going to affect this election? Because in 2016, it was more so... You have your Fox News on the, on the right, you've got your MSNBC on the left, or leaning left, whatever you want to say. But now you've got this new tread in independent media where guys like, you know, Joe Rogan is the obvious choice, but he's at the top of that uh, rectangle. How do you think that's going to play into the fact here? 
I don't know. I mean, look, I come from uh, independent media. My first job in, in journalism full time was with Washington City Paper, which is an independent free weekly uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, and I, you know, as a general um, as a general belief, I think independent media is great uh, and should be supported and applauded. I don't know a huge amount about Joe Rogan. Um, so I can't really speak to him. Obviously he's been very successful with his podcasts. I think that, um, you know, the more voices, uh, as a general note, the better. Um, but you know, obviously one of the, it's every, there's no perfectly good quality that doesn't have a flip side. Uh, and you know, I support independent media, but by the same token, that also means that there are some really irresponsible voices out there, some really dangerous voices, some really bigoted voices. So I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that I hope that people in independent, independent media seize the opportunity that there is for independent media because of the explosion of uh, podcasts and the like. Um, and, you know, work hard to be credible voices and um, to challenge the status quo um, but based on facts uh, and based on well-reasoned, uh, well-researched arguments, um, just, you know, the same way, hopefully, that the corporate media does it, uh, except perhaps better. Jake, I've, I've taken up enough of your time. I really appreciate it. I know this is a particularly crazy time for you uh, leading into November tour. So thank you so much for the time. Yeah, we got seven weeks to the election here and it's uh, every day is like a year. So uh, hopefully I'll see you on the flip side of this. Thanks so much. And I hope people like, uh, like the outpost. Uh, it's a real labor of love and, and, uh, uh, and the people who have seen it um, that I've talked to have really, have really enjoyed it. I think the reviews are definitely going to help. It's getting such good reviews. And uh, that, ma- that helps massively, I think, with combat movies over here too, because they don't generally have a huge audience because, you know, the global audience doesn't know about it as well as the American audience. But yeah, it's not, rah, rah, it's not a rah-rah. It's not a rah movie. It's, like, yeah. it's, it's, just, it's just a, you know, fact-based film about something that happened. You could see it, you could see it as a suspense movie or a horror movie or a, an emotional movie. But, it, but it's, I think that Rod did a really wonderful job directing it. He really did. Thanks so much for the time, Jake. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.